First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Please follow along as I read from God's word. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme, as the supreme authority or governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to your word, may your spirit lead us. May you give us wisdom. May you give us understanding. I pray that my words might be useful to you and to your people today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I have never lived in the great state of Pennsylvania, but I feel a strong kinship and connection to it. I stayed here every summer because my parents, my grandparents lived up in central PA, and we spent a couple weeks with them every year. And uh, it's right in the middle of nowhere, kind of. It's right up on the Susquehanna River, just north of 80 and 15, where they cross. A number of years ago, when there was a, a tornado that went through that area, and I know they're not that common out this way, but there was a tornado that went through, and that's when I really learned about a peculiar people that I had just seen otherwise. It was the Amish. See, I had not, growing up in Florida, I hadn't seen many of the Amish. I didn't understand who they were or what they were about, and my parents would explain as we would pass around. And so they were kind of a novelty or kind of an intriguing sight to see the, the trolley, see the, the carts, see the horse and buggies, and see the different dress of people as we would just drive by or happen to run into. But the Amish became a completely different community when the tornado came through. You see, that's when the Amish community sprang into action. And they were the ones that jumped all across and were helping rebuild communities that were torn apart by wind. There was another time, a little creek that was behind my grandparents' place got totally flooded, and it blew out a whole wall of the basement. And again, it wasn't, they weren't the only house affected. There was a whole row, a whole area by that creek and other creeks. And who sprang to action? It was the Amish. There they were, a visually peculiar people. There they were, a group of people that, well, opted out of a lot of what they would call uh, the English way. They were the people who came in and helped make things good and right when things went wrong. I think that's a bit of a model. I also think about the work that Rodney Stark has done, a scholar and sociologist who's taken a look at the history of the church and seen how the church flourished in the early Roman Empire. When Roman gods and paganism was, was, was rampant but on a slight decline, there were some plagues that hit through in the, around 165, and then a couple hundred years later, there's another plague. 15-year-long plagues. Imagine that. Heaven forbid that we have a 15-year-long plague. A third of the people died during that plague in 165. The interesting thing was, it was similar to quarantining. You kind of like, if you could flee to the countryside, you would flee. And if not, you would kind of stick to yourself and stay alone. Because, well, they didn't understand basic hygiene. They didn't have a lot of the understanding that we know about disease and sickness. But yet, 
there was a group of people that would care for their neighbor. There was a group of people that would stay put and just bring basic hospitality. And they found that basic mortality rates were sharply increased if someone was just bringing them food and water during their time of sickness rather than being abandoned. And it was this act of Christians being the peculiar people who at certain times were being called evil, being distrusted, being called all sorts of names, being written about and slandered and so forth, being violently treated. All these things were occurring. And yet, when the crisis occurred, the people brought water. They brought food. They brought basic nursing skills and compassion. But with them, they brought Jesus. With them, they brought the shoe leather to the gospel. They brought the good works that made people who didn't call on the name of the Lord praise their God. Three years ago, you may know, I, 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 my wife's a teacher, and they're, they're all feeling a little bit disoriented right now. In New Jersey, we haven't started yet because we have the proper schedule. Um, <laughs> but so for all the teachers, and I have a lot of teacher friends, they, they're a little thrown off because this is the first quote-unquote normal year in three years. So it's funny how normal doesn't feel normal, and it's a little disorienting. But three years ago, we had an opportunity. And I heard countless speakers, preachers, podcasts, people speculating, during this time of crisis, this may be the chance for the church to band together to do what's right and to gain that reputation of old. I'll let history decide whether how we did. This text that we read, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live good lives among the pagans so that when they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Regardless of the time or place or station, Christians need to live rightly among the non-Christian. Agreed? No matter what setting it is, whether we are in the high flourishes of Christendom or whether we are an outcast new people or whether we are in a post-Christian world, irregardless of any of that, Christians need to live rightly among the non-Christians. As our own modern society becomes, uh, Karen Jobes wrote, as our own modern society becomes more religiously diversified, Peter's instructions ring true and clear for most believers today who must first understand who they are in Christ as they attempt to live rightly in an increasingly unchristian world. I like that she anchors it into we need to understand first and foremost who we are before we can live out how to live. And that does make sense. Nothing's greater and more entertaining to me than, se than sending somebody out in a store. All right, we're here with a shopping list. And then you see them take off when they don't know the list. We had a summer camp that I was a part of for years, and this one young lady, she was so, one of my new youth leaders, and she was so energized to do things, and she would just take off, and I would just watch. And that's like a, a new Christian who doesn't have the knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus, but is just gung-ho to follow Jesus, and they just, they just go out there, and they, they're, they're walking down the aisles blessing the name of Jesus, but they have no idea what they're doing, Right? 
So we need to know and anchor it into who we are. To live rightly in this unchristian place, Peter gives us two principal engage, principles of engagement. First is their allegiance to Jesus does not exempt them from submitting to pagan authority. And they must maintain their identity as God's holy people, even if this means that they suffer unjustly and without retaliation for holding their convictions and values. So what does this look like to live in a world that's not ours? Live in a world beyond our control that is yet controlled by the Almighty. In that tension, I think there's two predictable options of what this looks like to live in the world. One is uh, resistance. We need to double down, set up a defensive posture, but be offensively minded. We set up resistance, we're combative, we're defiant, we set up resistance to the ways and powers of the pagan world. We identify them, we call them out, and we just try to extinguish them wherever possible. That's one way. Another way might be a little more passive. Privatizing our Christian faith, keeping it our own personal issue, keeping it behind our walls, keeping it very um, seen and not, unseen and not heard, while publicly assimilating into the surrounding unchristian culture. Too often we have either a, let's try to be relevant but become passive or let's try to be um, a dynamic conquerors and onward Christian soldiers and become aggressive. Is there a third way? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> is there a third way? The third way is this. Peter advises his readers to engage their society as resident aliens and foreigners. I entitled this message, How to Be an Alien. Did anybody see that beforehand? Did anybody have an idea where we were going? Or were you thinking, like, what is he doing? <laughs> How to be an alien. Well, let's talk about that. Verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as resident aliens, to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God. Some might call that lifestyle evangelism. Have you ever heard that phrase before, lifestyle evangelism? Live in such a way that people see that Jesus is alive. Live in such a way that validates your claims about the universe. Live in such a way that says, I don't hold your belief, but I like it. Or at least I like you because of it. Be winsome. Be compelling. Be an expression of the foretaste of the coming kingdom itself. Be refreshing. Be uplifting. Be encouraging. Let your morality speak to a better life. Have good marriages because you're honoring Jesus or through honoring Jesus. It's not because. It's kind of a real direct connection. Have good parenting. Now, we all know that just because you honor Jesus and you try to take kids to youth group and you have devotions with your family, that does not mean that every single one of your kids is going to be a, an honored Christian soldier, praise him, singing, future volunteer in the church, right? But generally speaking, live lives that validate the gospel is what he's saying here. Peter's readers need to reorient their self-understanding with respect to society in which they live. We need to reorient ourselves to the world that we are living in. 
Now, I think something that's interesting about this idea that when we come to know Jesus, we are taken from, in the Gospel of John, it says we are crossing over from death into life. Ephesians speaks of us as we were enemies of God, objects of wrath, and now we are sons and daughters. You see that there's a huge change. When we encounter and are sealed with the the Holy Spirit, we go from an old life that was decaying to a new life that is rewarded and a new life that is eternal. And the funny thing about that is that can happen and nothing else changes in your context. You're still living in the same home, in the same family, with the same name, with the same resources, in the same cultural setting and context. And yet everything has changed because you've met Jesus, right? So how do we reorient ourselves in respect to the society around us? I just think it's interesting to note that everybody who becomes a Christian um, is a native-born citizen in the pagan culture. Have you ever been and moved to a new area? Some people have grown up in their town all their lives. Some people have multi-generations to this town. But if you've ever moved to a new area, you know what it's like to be an outsider. And the gospel was going out to the dispersed Jewish communities that were already living like the Amish were, as cultural outsiders within their communities scattered across the Roman Empire. However, when the Gentile becomes a Christian, they are becoming a Christian in their backyard, in their own culture. So Peter is highlighting that they need to be followers of Jesus and Christians first. Their citizenship is in heaven and their new nature is holy. And again, often we think of holiness with what? Behavior modifiers? I'm going to offer out that the the holiness that is spoken most clearly about in the scriptures, that we are made holy is that we are set apart for God's service. We are set apart for God's work. What are we set for? To praise and enjoy the Lord forever. What is the chief end of man, my friends? I imagine we have some people that can recite a lot more of that here. We are made for this calling of rejoicing and enjoying and proclaiming and glorifying God. So some people are just discovering that and waking up to that. We do have to set in our hearts very clearly that we are Christians. We need to renounce, in a sense, our locality. We need to renounce our locals-only membership into the pagan world, into the non-Christian world, into the world that lives and operates counterintuitive to the gospel and kingdom of Christ. And that's the hardest thing to ask somebody who's grown up in the same town, in the same house, in the same neighborhood, speaking the same language, breathing the same. And, you know, it's easy to know what a community is like when you come into it. I see all sorts of funny things about New Jersey and Philadelphia because I'm not a New Jerseyan by nature. I'm not a Philadelphian. I pick up on all the funny ways some people say things. I'm sure none of you say wooder. Raise your hand if you do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I pick up on all these little funny things when my friends in South Jersey, would, they would encourage somebody. Like, why are you putting people in carriage? That's how they say encourage, by the way. It's so funny. Do we have that same ear to recognizing where we are 
just Christianizing our local community and not following Jesus. I think that's the difficulty. That's the challenge. That is the, the hard work that we do together as a church. Both this local church and the community of churches and the writers from old and new, this is the struggle, this is the challenge, this is where we are going. How to become followers of Jesus Christ first and have our citizenship in heaven supersede our citizenship in our local community. By the way, this is not new to the church in the history of Israel. God called out Abraham, where? From Ur. It's my favorite name, by the way. It's like they couldn't come up with one. What is it? What are we going to? Uh, that'll go. He called out from Ur, and he had to travel around the Fertile Crescent and come to the land of Canaan. And he was an outsider through the end of his days in this new land. The Hebrews were in Egypt. They were clearly outsiders as enslaved people for 400 years in Egypt. Then later on, they do get their homeland, but there's all these different attacks and ups and downs and people coming in to take and control. Then, you, then that's not to mention the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. You see, Israel and God's people are not, uh, it's not a new idea that they are strangers in their own land. And that is what God has called us to be here today. This is what he called the people that Peter was writing to. So what does it mean to be a foreigner? A foreigner, well, they're kind of watched closely, aren't they? Foreigners aren't necessarily trusted. Foreigners kind of stand out because of their customs, their language, their barriers. And so I think one of the ways that somebody wrote a book once called Peculiar People, speaking about the church, we need to be such peculiar people that we're a little suspicious. We need to be such peculiar people in, why aren't you keeping up with the Joneses? Why aren't you participating in the idea that your, your youthful looks have to sustain themselves until your 80th year? Why aren't you sustain, participating in the world the cultural ideas about race and class and education and gender and everything else that, in between? God has called us to be a peculiar people, not just by what we stand against, but even more so by what we live for. Why do you open your home to these kids? Why do you not operate and understand that there's class barriers and you shouldn't associate with people that don't benefit your business world or your class or social standing? Why would you open up your life and adopt or foster or be a surrogate? Why would you do all those things? We had a party yesterday. It was going splendidly. We were playing a Frisbee game. And then it happened. A knee went out. I've seen knee injuries. I've watched my own explode one direction. I would rather see that than what I saw yesterday of a dislocated knee. And we were all, you're going to be fine. And <laughs> my daughter told me that my wife, she saw, watched my wife say, oh, okay, you're going to be great, and turn and gag. And her husband, he's a great guy. He's a phenomenal guy, but he was very honest with me later. He's like, if it wasn't my wife, I would have just turned and walked away. <laughs> and that is a very normal world view of, hey, I, it's not my business. 
It's not my life. It's not my neighbor. I'm not getting involved in the mess. I'm not getting involved in what I don't know what to do with. That is why people can be actively mugged in broad daylight and people walk on by because that is the way of the world. But the Christian says, no, I'm going to vault myself into a situation I don't belong in. I wasn't invited in, but there's a need and I'm going to do my best to meet the need. Even if I'm ridiculed, even if I'm mocked, even if I'm putting my own life in some kind of harm, this is what we do. I do remember at a festival once years ago, mid-90s, I'm at a festival and one guy versus 20. I don't know what happened, but I just decided one needed two. And I remember standing there nerves. There's fists raised and I'm standing like this between the one and the angry them. I had no idea what I was doing. Why was I even there or what was going to come out of my mouth? And I just started saying, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> I kid you not. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's the kingdom of heaven. I bought him time. He ran away and it was diffused. There goes the, but for the grace of God, go I. Why do we do that? Because we have been called to be different. We've been called to be a peculiar people. We are foreigners in our own land. We are no longer citizens of this world. We are watched closely. We are sometimes, sometimes we choose not to participate in the way the world is working and what's going on. Sometimes we are excluded and asked not to participate. By the way, that is okay. That is okay if we are blackballed, blacklisted, and just kind of excluded from some opportunities. It is okay in the name of Jesus if for following him we are put on a short list. It's a lot better than the marks of the early church. Remember Paul said, I bear the marks of the gospel? That wasn't awards for having memorized verses. There were scars and beatings. A foreigner neither has responsibilities or privileges. Some responsibilities and some privileges are revoked. We don't let, we don't let foreigners vote, do we? Right? We don't let foreigners do certain things. We have certain rules for outsiders. When we become a Christian, we become an outsider to the local culture and the local community, the local citizenship. And that's something we take on with some pride. So then we come to the idea of like, so be a foreigner, be a resident alien. What does it mean to be good, to do good? Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you to live in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Doing good, even in a pagan society, does two things. It silences the slander, and it causes people who don't know God to praise God. It causes people to praise God. I'm not here to extol us all to become Amish, by the way. But I guarantee you there's times in between disasters where people can start to giggle about the Amish way of life. Oh, isn't that a little different? Isn't that a little weird? Isn't that a little odd? Isn't that a little... Oh, but doesn't the story change after the, after the storm and after the flood? And it's the Amish who put, put together their community. Then you have a whole band of people who did not convert to Amishism. Okay. They did not convert and become Amish. 
But what they did do is become a whole outer band to protect. Oh, you know, we don't say anything bad about the Amish. They're amazing people. Oh, I remember the time. And then they start telling you the stories. I remember the time. Remember when we had a question about are there two ways? Do we just resist or do we just retreat? But no, we're supposed to engage and live within, but as resident aliens. James Davidson Hunter, about 10, 12 years ago, wrote a book called To Change the World. And in it, he concludes that, the, the, that the, probably the best path forward is one that he called a faithful presence. See, he was resisting the idea that we need to have purity from culture or to be relevant to culture or to be aggressively defensive against culture. He, he lays out the argument about how he's seen the evangelical world be all three of those. Purity from, withdrawn, relevant to, assimilating, or defensive against, attacking. He lays out who and pushed these different movements, and he explains it very clearly. But then he offers a, a fourth. He says, a faithful presence is the exercise of faith and hope and love toward family, friends, and neighbors. And yes, enemies in all spheres. From the classroom to the government, from the dinner table to the marketplace, from the neighborhood to the world stage, that is a faithful presence to exercise faith, hope, and love toward all people, wherever you are. So why would we do that? This is where I think we look to the cross. Why are we take on being a resident alien? Why do we renounce our citizenship in the United States for the citizenship, citizenship in heaven and Christ's kingdom? Well, we can see empires come and go. We're in the middle of one that's going. That's fine. Because we belong to Jesus, whose throne lasts forever. We belong to Jesus, who's faced our number one nemesis, death, and defeated it. He went through it and came out on the other side of it. That is why we anchor our lives as resident aliens to Christ's kingdom. That is why we exert a faithful presence, so that people will hopefully see and be drawn to Jesus, and if not, at least create that barrier of protection around us. And this is why I go to the rest of the passage. I didn't read this whole passage. I invite you to go back and read the rest of 1 Peter chapter 2. But he goes on to talk about how we're supposed to live in this new resident alien way. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submitting to yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. If you have a bad boss, if you have a mean people around you, serve them like you would serve Jesus. For it's commendable if someone bears up under pain and unjust suffering because they are conscientious to God. How is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? That makes sense, right? If you're obnoxious and people treat you like you're obnoxious, that's not a credit for Jesus, is it? And I'm going to say that again, friends, because some of us really like to be obnoxious for Jesus. I stand guilty often, too often in my life. But when we are rejected and the gospel is rejected because of our abrasiveness or our offensiveness or our stubbornness and inflexibility or our, our, our need for dominance or our need to win the argument, oh, if I could take back half the times even that I was obnoxious for Jesus. That's not a credit in heaven. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. 
By the way, when Peter was writing this, it was probably around the time of Nero. That might be an interesting Google search. How were Christians treated under Nero? It's graphic. Be warned. But you were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. You were like sheep and were going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This faithful presence mindset, this resident alien idea, how to be an alien is literally take on the path of Jesus because he went for us, he went first, and he asks us to follow him. He asks us to pick up our cross and do what? Follow daily. He tells us the way is hard, that everybody else has a home, everybody else has a place, but to follow Jesus, there's a, there's a, there's a strangerness to it. There's a wanderer, there's a sojournerness to it. There's a homelessness to it. But this is to what we were called, verse 21. We were called by Jesus to follow and to be part of his resident, alien, faithful, present, peculiar people. Should we put that on like a, like a slogan that's maybe a little too clunky? But to this we were called, including the suffering. Why? Because Christ suffered for us. Therefore, we follow our Lord through the path that he traveled and has called us. Not in retreat, not on the offense, but faithfully present. Amen? Amen. Lord, be with us as we hear these words. Be with us as we look to your scriptures. Be with us as we worship together. Lord, it's so easy for us to want to retreat and just duck away from the suffering and not speak up or not cause tensions. It's so easy for us to maybe even cause some more by bringing in our own offensive nature or just needing to win. Lord, it is hard for us to be, be the aliens that you've called us to be. We want both and. We want our cake and to eat it too sometimes, Lord. And so forgive us. Teach us. And give us the strength to live as faithful resident aliens where you've put us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.